0: welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vassini. Today on the show, Bryce Simon is in the building. We're here. We're going to talk about five different topics, maybe six if we have time. Bryce has a heart out here in 92 minutes, so I promise you we can't go longer than that on this show. We're going to start with Bryce's beloved Detroit Pistons. I'm making him do it. Just to share for people, this is not something Bryce wants to do. This is something I'm making him do. I just want to be clear with everybody literally at the top of our note sheet that we have going into every episode. Bryce has put a note saying, not Pistons, please do not talk about the Pistons. Basically. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm going to make him talk about the Pistons because they did a trade today. We'll talk about the details on that momentarily. Then we're going to move to the Houston Rockets. We're going to talk about some of the interesting things that I think they're doing on defense with Alper and Shengun. uh, some of the rotational questions, everything like that. I just really want to talk about the Rockets because I've wanted to for a while and they're in the middle of this weird run recently where they've played well sometimes. Like they beat the Bucks literally like I think a week and a half ago and then takes a late, bucket to beat the detroit pistons and then you know they get the doors blown off of them by the celtics obviously it's a weird team And like i kind of think that like 19 and 19 is probably right for them given where they are currently but i would just want to kind of dive into everything i'm seeing there we're going to talk about atlanta a little bit and just like how messy that looks they got absolutely blown out by the washington wizards and whenever that happens uh, there is a full-scale crisis i feel like worth discussing we're going to talk about the quiet leonard extension what that means for the Clippers moving forward, as well as what that means NBA wide. I think that's actually a really interesting discussion point. Uh, Kawhi was one of the critical free agents that could hit the market this year. The Clippers have been so good that it was, it would have been a surprise if that would have happened anyway, but worth discussing kind of what all of this means. Finally, we're going to do NBA draft prospect of the week. We're going to talk Jalen Tyson, out of Cal, a guy that I'm really excited about. I think Bryce is also pretty excited about him. Yep. Look to spoil this at the top. I have a first round grade on Jalen Tyson right now. Same. I-, I think he looks like a really, really interesting prospect that has probably not gotten enough publicity i had him top 40 on the most recent big board i did like coming into the new year like i think i did that thing in december so i've been on tyson for a minute here but he just continues to get better and better some of the stuff he showed against colorado particularly i think was super super impressive so we're going to talk about all that but first bryce simon is here bryce what's going on buddy
1: What's up, Sam? Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, I was joking about the Pistons thing, mostly because we recorded our pod this morning. The news broke as we were recording, which is... Quite literally the luckiest thing that could have happened because if we would have finished the pod and then the news broke, we had a guest on, all of that, it would have been a disaster. And then I recorded right after that on a Wizards pod with my guy, Matt Moderno, Believe in Wizards. Amazing. I love him and enjoy it, but I've already you know, talked about this for a couple hours today. So no, it, it'll be good. I'm interested to get your perspective. I've had a chance to think about it a little bit more. So And, and I think we even want to go beyond the trade with uh, the Jaden Ivey, uh, Monte Williams quote.
0: Yeah, we do. Unfortunately, look, you've probably spent way too much time on what is essentially an inconsequential NBA trade, sure. but we're going to talk about it regardless here, just because of some of the things that I think it says more about what both of these teams are planning, uh, as opposed to what it means now. So the Detroit Pistons traded Marvin Bagley and Isaiah livers plus two future second round picks to the Washington Wizards for Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala. Do you know, what the first thing. I thought of when I saw this deal was, Bryce. What? I texted it to you. Like the Oh, oh yeah, this yeah. Is I, I didn't know that, that when
1: it happened. I found out after <laughs> it happened.
0: Yeah, the funniest piece of this by far is that... And look, like I, I don't think there's like anything in this. I just think it's funny given all of the you know, hoopla around uh, Arn Tellem and the Tellem family and everything is that Danilo Gallinari is represented by Michael Tellem uh, who is at Excel. and is Arn Tellem's son. Uh, just a funny, you know, probably like there's something there, but regardless it's, it's funny to know we'll talk about something that I think could be critical there long-term. So my initial reaction to this was almost to be annoyed because if I was a Pistons fan, like I'd be frustrated by this. Right. And you know, you can tell me how you feel in a minute here, Bryce, just because look, they gave up, you know, multiple picks and Trey Lyles to get Marvin Bagley. And now they're basically giving up two second round picks to get off of the Marvin Bagley contract this uh, for this off season. Right. Cause what Marvin Bagley's trade does for two expiring deals, it creates potential for more cap space because both Gallinari and Muscala are on expiring deals. Basically we'll create 12 and a half million extra in cap space this summer because that's what Marvin Bagley's deal is right around that mark yeah. uh, for this coming off season. And then I stopped and I thought about something I always talk about on this podcast, which is you can't get locked into a sunk cost, Right. The Marvin Bagley original deal is a sunk cost. If you're thinking about this from the perspective of building a team, the worst thing you can do is just get locked into your guys and not think twice and just continue to move forward with that. Honestly, being able to get off of that Marvin Bagley deal for the cost of only two second round picks and frankly taking the Isaiah Livers club out of the bag, quote unquote, for Monty Williams because he continues to play Isaiah Livers and Isaiah Livers brings very unsuccessful minutes to an NBA court. I think this is a smart deal for the Pistons. Like, look, we can't remove it from the context of everything else. And I think the context is really important when discussing another point I want to bring up after I get your take on this. But in a vacuum, this deal is smart, I think, for the Pistons and makes sense to me.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in a vacuum, the hard part is we know that outside of the vacuum, I think to go to something you talk about is the process around this whole experience with Marvin Bagley was just bad. You traded away assets to bring him in. Okay, that was okay. I I, I can't say that I was super upset about that. Although, like, you see what Trey Lyles does as a rotation player on a top five team in the West right now? And you're like... Hey, you know, a team like the Pistons who could use a guy that just is a good quality rotation player and spaces the floor. you know. But at the end of the day, you you go and and you try that with Bagley. The problem with the process was then you overpaid for him. Then you traded a former first-round pick for James Wiseman, who then was taking Marvin Bagley's minutes, and then you had to trade assets to get rid of Marvin Bagley on the end of it. So, yes, I agree with – here's what I've said, is I hope that whatever – has gone on, the only way I have confidence in this moving forward is that Troy Weaver, the front office, whoever's been making the decisions, has learned from mistakes, is willing to correct them, willing to grow and expand and whatever. And if this is an indictment of this, if this shows that, that like, hey, we made a mistake here, we need to get off of it, we need these expirings, I will say that Amari quickly... Even as the, like all of this was happening, Amari for the second Pistons beat writer for the Free Press, he said, "This is like the foundation. This is the first step of what should be more moves." And so, I'm yeah. trying to hold on to the fact that this may have set up some other things, and not trying to rush to too much. I also like those second round picks. I th- I haven't fully been able to grasp what they are. There's weird, like the least and most favorable, but one of those may be the Pistons' own, which in 2025, which could be a pretty high pick. So those aren't like nothing into the second round picks from what it looks like right now. Just wanted to to put that out there. Although, like say, it's very convoluted with those picks a little bit.
0: Yeah, so I agree with you that this is like the precursor to moves for both of these teams, frankly. Uh, on the Pistons side, Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala have been two of the guys I've kind of been looking at as like potential buyouts. Candidates, Right. I've kind of been assuming that that's where this ends. The big thing with the Gallinari move is that Gallinari, unfortunately, you know, signed this deal with the Boston Celtics and never got to play for the Boston Celtics. Right. If he had been bought out by the Wizards, he wouldn't have been able to play for the Celtics like they couldn't have bought out Gallinari, the Wizards, and then Gallinari been able to sign for Boston under league rules. But now because he's been traded somewhere and then there's the potential for him to get bought out. He certainly has not been bought out as we're talking right now. If he is to be bought out, he can go sign with Boston now, which Boston needs depth. I'm not going to sit here and say the Gallo is like some playoff difference maker at this point. And I think they would need to sign or trade for somebody else depth wise. But I think the Gallo could in theory, make some sense. there as like a bigger guy who can shoot in some respect. Uh, Mike Muscala has been in Boston before floor spacer, et cetera, et cetera. Like a couple, both of these guys like kind of make sense for Boston and neither of them were capable of being moved back to Boston unless they were traded. So that piece of it was interesting to me. Uh, The second piece of it is if you buy players out, if you're the Detroit Pistons, you create roster spots and you create flexibility to potentially bring back two guys for one guy, three guys for one guy in a trade. Now I'm not going to sit here and say that the Pistons have many uh, opportunities to trade uh, three for, or one for three, one for two, et cetera, et cetera. But it just creates more flexibility. It also creates flexibility to potentially convert some two way guys like Stanley Amude has had some moments this year. I don't really hate uh, the potential for him to get converted, to be honest. Uh, then you can bring in another two-way guy like it brings up real potential avenues for improvement and to bring in different types of talent at the end of the day so yeah. that go ahead bryce
1: no i was just gonna say go ahead and finish i was just gonna say i want to make sure that also uh the trade exemption came up uh they got like it's a little less than six but that is part of this as well so again as the chat is saying like At the end of the day, it's still bad that you had to get rid of draft capital to get off of Marvin Bagley. I get it. I fully support and agree with that 1000%. I'm just honestly right now, I'm still just trying to provide the context around what all was created. And as you're saying, some potential options and things that could be used moving forward. Because as we know, most trades, even though we want instant reactions, instant win loss, There's a lot of things that have to happen after that to decide whether it was or not. Or, you know, was it a good move? What is it? The start of something else.
0: Worth noting for the Pistons as well, that $5.7 million trade exception that they create in this deal is actually like a potential value add to them because they do not currently have a trade exception available to them. Uh, Now, they will lose that trade exception if they end up using cap space this summer, which Again, it seems like that's where this is going. And given all of the context that we just outlined regarding (laughs) what Troy Weaver's process here, you can't let Troy Weaver make this decision. You can't let Troy Weaver make the decision on who to pay because this free agency class is not strong. And we are setting up for a circumstance where the Pistons are getting more cap space to potentially overpay in free agency to do stuff now you can use cap space in a lot of different ways you can you know if you want to in the summer trade jade and ivy for a star and just take the guy into cap space and everything like that hypothetically i'm not saying that's happening i'm just saying that like you cannot let troy weaver make this decision i think based off of the entire the marvin bagley deal to create cap space uh is kind of the epitome of why you can't let Troy Weaver make the decision to go pay somebody else like Marvin Bagley.
1: I mean, I think that's what we're going to get though. And uh, th- this was secondhand. So I'm definitely not reporting this. I haven't read the article yet, but I believe James Edwards, the may have, have written this, that it looks like maybe Weaver was going to get the deadline in the off season. Now, again, th- this was secondhand. I haven't read it yet. So I, I absolutely do not want to put words in or, you know, words down that James did not type or write um, because James does an amazing job. But I, I mean, my thing is, if you're going to fire Troy Weaver, you should have done it before four weeks before the deadline. And so I think he's at least going to operate the deadline. And I don't know. I, I think I'm of the mindset that we're going to see Troy Weaver operate the deadline in the offseason at the very least.
0: That is a uh, that is that is something if that's going to happen. That does not make sense to me. For the Wizards, I'm a little bit surprised that they decided to take on the Bagley deal. But, you know, like if one of those second rounders could be quite valuable, like Bryce is saying in terms of the protections, I'll take a look here momentarily. I I sort of understand it. Like it's only one year after this one. It's 12 and a half million. They are, I believe, over the cap moving forward. And again, as we just discussed, this is not really the offseason where you want to go like crazy in free agency so you know taking on this money makes some sense and look like the wizards kind of need another big man body especially if they're going to move dan gafford who is somebody that i think could end up getting real value on the market uh Gafford like I look at teams like the Rockets, I look at teams uh kind of across the league, you know, the Mavericks need like another body potentially as a center, not necessarily as a starter, but just as a good uh 20 to 25 minute per game guy that can come in, give you rim protection as a shot blocker, rim run, finish at the basket. Uh do all of the simple things that Gafford does really well. If you're going to move him, you need to have like a replacement body uh at the very least who can like play center uh so this to me could be the precursor to something like that uh if they decide they want to go down that route they don't they're not they're they don't have to make a decision on gafford he has two and a half more years left on his contract but if they decide that you know somebody's going to pay a first round pick for daniel gafford be it a late first rounder or whatever it's an interesting concept to me
1: yeah to me this is good process by the wizards right you have two guys on expirings that are Probably not a ton of value. Like we're talking about the Pistons just buying them out, right? So you get a guy, yeah, you you get an extra year of the Marvin Bagley money, but is that really hindering what the Wizards are going to do this offseason? Bagley has shown some signs, at least offensively. I thought he had times where he played decently well, and I've referred to him as a fifth big, a quality fifth big, which I'm counting both the five and the four in that. So I don't even know that he's like on your two-man depth chart but he's then the fifth guy that when somebody's out or injured or foul trouble, you can bring him in. He has some nice soft touch, those type of things, you know, maybe a change of scenery for Isaiah livers. He finds whatever we all thought he may have had. I know it's come out that multiple people talked about how him and Jordan Poole roomed together at Michigan, maybe being with an old friend from college is going to help him find something. But at the end of the day, If neither of those guys work out at all, you got two second round picks for two expiring 32 plus year olds that, you know, weren't really making a huge dent in anything anyway. So I think for the Wizards, you know, we talk about good and bad process. This felt like good process for them in terms of what they did, even if it's not any sort of needle moving move for them in their rebuild. Rebuild.
0: So keep talking. I kind of have an idea here on uh, a deal that I'm going to share that I've been okay. kind of sharing with people. So uh, give me one second.
1: Yeah. So uh, for the Pistons, it's really interesting in terms of, again, as soon as this came out and Omari started doing his things and whatever, and I think he've even written an article since then for the Detroit Free Press that this was just the table setter, I think was the words that were used for what was going to happen next for the Pistons. And and so one thing that's interesting to me is, are they going to... I think everybody thinks they're going to wait till the offseason. Do they try to make a move here at the deadline to start moving this thing forward? I don't know if it's about wins this year, but instead of taking money and cap space into the offseason where maybe you make a mistake trying to sign a free agent, you just make a trade that makes sense now. And they have a ton yeah. of expiring money on the books with these two guys along with the other players they already have.
0: So I I agree with you. Like if I was them, I would probably be trying to make a move now instead of trying to make a move in free agency. I think that just makes more sense. So this is kind of my idea here on a random deal that I think you can line up that makes some sense across the board. So the Rockets are in need of a backup center pretty desperately. Uh, Daniel Gafford makes sense for them in a lot of ways, uh, bigger body, kind of an interesting compliment to Shane Goon. uh, you know, makes 13 million, I think over the next couple of years, that's solid. Uh, they move Jock Lawndale, who has not been very good for them. Expiring contract moved Delano Banton, you know, the Celtics moved Delano Banton to the wizards, you know, interesting, bigger framed guy that maybe could be something eventually, The Celtics then would get Jay Sean Tate, a guy that I think could really help them defensively. I think he really fits with their bench units. They have all the shooting in the world. Guys like Peyton Pritchard, Al Horford, Sam Hauser. And then typically they play those bench units with like Jason uh, Jason Tatum specifically. So you could do that. You could mix and match the bench units with all sorts of shooting. Tate's lack of shooting, I think, would be really managed well in Boston. They give up like what's essentially going to be the 30th overall pick to do that. Uh, You know, the Rockets maybe could give a second rounder to Boston. If you wanted to do that, the wizards get a late first round pick then to, you know, move Daniel Gafford to the Rockets. The Celtics are very limited in terms of who they can go out and get. Like they really can't go out and get somebody above a certain price point. Like it has to be, you know, $7 million or cheaper. In terms of what they can match trade-wise, so Tate fits in that billing. They move three guys to the end of the bench, not really playing much. Rockets get Gafford for you know Jock Lawndale, Jayshon Tate, and a second-round pick. That feels like a win. Wizards get uh, a first-round pick for Daniel Gafford, which feels like a win. The Celtics get one of the few guys that they can actually like make work under their cap sheet and somebody who fits them defensively, gives them some more energy off the bench, gives them another rotation player, just essentially for the 30th overall pick in terms of what that looks like this year.
1: Yeah, I see some people, and I think in general, we're going to get some pushback in terms of like, is Jay Sean Tate worth a first round pick? Um, You know, and and you're also-
0: Honestly, probably not. If I'm I'm being completely transparent, probably not.
1: But what you're saying about the Celtics in terms of what they can actually do, that changes the equation for them, right? In terms of they can't, They can trade a first round pick, but they can't go acquire somebody worth more money.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, no, I I am very intrigued to see what the Celtics do because I do think that they uh, seem like they want to make a move in that respect, Uh, at least in some respect, right? To go out and find uh, another bench player. And there are just limited options in terms of what they can do because of the price point. Like another thing I thought of was like maybe they go and try and take a flyer on like one of the younger Memphis wings uh and john concher or something like that they can get two for the price of one maybe for that late first rounder i don't know i'm just kind of throwing things at the wall and seeing if they make sense but i I think you can make a case that like a gafford you know tate wizards you know draft capital deal makes a lot of sense for everybody involved and kind of ticks boxes for everybody involved
1: well i like that for the rockets right because it changes the alignment of their roster where you get as good as Jay Sean Tate has been you get him out of there where you have this emergence of Cam Whitmore who's been really good it opens up minutes for him you're obviously starting Dylan Brooks but now you get a backup big who I really like Daniel Gaff- Gafford like I know he's completely different than Alperen Şengün, but that's not always the worst case when you can bring in somebody that offers something a little bit different for those minutes. And so that makes sense for the Rockets. Like you said, the wizards, you know, if you get any sort of first round pick for Gafford, I think that's a win if they're ready to move off of him. And then, yeah, like you said, for the Celtics, I think the Celtics are already just at 14 roster spots, but again, that would open up more roster spots for buyout candidates and stuff like that in that situation. If you traded for Sean Tate, You got Danilo Gallinari. If he gets bought out, all of a sudden that second unit that we've discussed at length starts to round into form, and maybe you're a little bit more confident in that. I I really like Jay Shante. I think he's a really good player, especially on a really good team. I think the things he does really stands out well.
0: And he's on a like awesome contract for next year too at six and a half million. Uh, which I think is less than what he's worth, frankly. And if you're Boston, like, I, I don't know if he's worth a first round pick, but he's worth more than six and a half million in cap space. So like, if you're Boston, you get a guy that can help you for the next two years, which is more than a expiring kind of player. He's also extension eligible this summer. So maybe you can get a couple of years tacked onto that. I think that it's just hard. Like, you know, Pedro brings up Tate was really good in his rookie year and just okay. Ever since he's good, but I think the Celtics will look for more. I agree. It's just, I'm telling you, like I'm trying to find something that makes sense because of how constricted they are cap wise. It's just really hard to find something for them. So maybe, you know, they traded for all of those seconds. Like maybe Boston fans would feel better if, uh, you know, you make it like four seconds going to Washington because they, did all of those deals during the trade or during the draft last year to get those second round picks. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's so, uh it, it's hard to find a guy that I think real
1: quick there. on Boston. And part of the reasons it's hard, Sam is because of where their contracts land. You're not trading any of the top five Horford's at 10 million. You probably aren't trading him because then it becomes a lateral move. You're probably not trading Peyton Pritchard because that's again, a lateral move. That's a guy in the rotation that you're trading. Yes. And even if you did, he's only at four. You go beyond that. Cornette's at 2.4. So like, that's where you can't, it's hard to get to the
0: money. And again, like people will laugh at this. When I say this, they kind of need to keep Luke Cornette because of the Chris potential for injury thing. And because Al Horford is deep into his thirties at this point, Cornette's been like somewhat useful for them this year. So I think they kind of need to keep him too, which sounds, I I get it sounds weird on its face, but you know, I think the value of getting 400,000 extra to move in a deal, uh, is not exceeded by what Cornette has done. So yeah, Yeah. that's kind of where I'm at.
1: Yeah. I mean, they just, they, they essentially have four $2 million contracts to trade. Brichette, Svee, Stevens, Banton. Because again, you're not going to move Sam Hauser. All these other guys you kind of want to keep in the rotation. Or if you send them out in the trade, unless it's a huge upgrade, it's just not really worth it because these guys are part of the rotation we're already talking about. So I think that plays into a lot of what we're talking about where yes, Jay Sean Tate on face value may not be worth a first round pick, but it's about, okay, what do the Celtics need? Does this get them where you know they feel much more comfortable, help them win the championship? And is that worth, as you said? the 28th, the 29th, the 30th overall pick in this draft.
0: And and like another option is potentially like maybe, so the Rockets, I think have two or three second round picks. They did a deal like this with Eric Gordon last year, where like they essentially moved pick 31 for, or pick 30 or for whatever, whatever it was to move up to pick 19 or pick 20, which is the one that they used to get Cam Whitmore. So like, maybe it's as simple as you move a second rounder back to Boston. So it's essentially you're, trading back you know 15 slots or whatever to get uh jay sean tate as opposed to like completely moving out of the first moving out of the draft entirely like it could be something like that
1: i like that yeah for sure
0: so okay uh let's move on we've spent enough time on this deal let's uh let's talk let's go to the rockets now like this is just a natural progression i think to move to the rockets The Rockets right now, this is going to be kind of a general Rockets talk because I'm fascinated on where they're going to go. They are 19 and 19. They're sixth in defense, 21st in offense. That's basically been pretty steady throughout the course of the year. Really good defense. Offense has been, let's call it hit or miss, depending on the night, right? Uh, They started great at six and three. They basically kind of held steady since then. They went nine and nine in their next 18 games after that. Uh, following back-to-back wins against Dallas and New Orleans they were at 15 and 12 been a bit of a struggle they've only won 4 of their last 11 games those 4 wins were against the Pistons twice the Nets and then the good one against Milwaukee which i think was every reason to be like okay maybe this team like could be a real play-in you know playoff team that you know wins a play-in tournament kind of situation the losses in those 11 games, Pacers, Suns, 76ers, Wolves, Heat, Bulls, Celtics. The Celtics and Wolves games particularly were blowouts. I feel like when I watch the Rockets, I'm watching a team that I'm really excited to watch, and I'm really excited by the progress they've shown. I do want to note as well, as 57 Otis says, like Tari Eason and Dylan Brooks have missed quite a bit of time recently. They have had some lineup in and outs, no question. That's absolutely right. It does feel like a team that is still really growing and is still trying to just get it all together a little bit. And given how deep the West is, I don't know that they're going to be a play in team, but I don't know that I care about that. I, I think is where I'm at, given the very clear growth in progress that they have shown over the course of this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what I like and maybe why I wasn't as high on their summer whenever they signed Fred Van Vliet and they signed Dylan Brooks is I'm like, man, these guys are going to come in and they're going to take all of the offensive role and you're not going to find out about your young guys. Well, that that's not at all what's happened. We've given Dylan Brooks some flowers for not coming in and taking a ton of shots. So what I like is you've talked about this with the Pistons, right? They need to find out what Cade Cunningham, what I like is we're finding out what Alperen Shingoon is, what Jalen Green is, or what Jalen Green is not. We're finding out about Jabari and Tari Eason, and that's being helped and aided by these veterans. So I think it ended up being really good. Shingoon is still first in field goal attempts. Green is second, Jabari fourth, Tari sixth. So like you're still getting, the hierarchy is still where you would want it. And every time I watch a Rockets game, they talk about Fred Van Vliet and the culture and what he brings in regard to that. We know Dylan Brooks brings a certain mentality that I think is good for these young guys in terms of competing and, you know, a a positive, uh, confident mentality. So I think this has ended up being way more than what I thought it was going to be. Because I was nervous, like, man, well, if if Fred Van Vliet and Dylan Brooks are just going to lead them in points and field goal attempts, I don't like that. That's not at all what has happened. We've seen Shingun shine. And again, maybe people are upset with what Jalen Green has been this year, but at least you're finding out. Like, you know, because it can't be, well, he doesn't have a point guard or he doesn't have a wing defender and he's having to take defensive matchups. No, they've put Jalen Green in a position to succeed. And now it's like, can he do it or can he not?
0: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good way to phrase it. Uh, I want to start beyond that with Shengun because I think it's by far the most important place sure. to start. The, as you mentioned, like finding things out about who you have and what you have on the team. The most important thing they found out is that Shen Goon is an all-star. I don't know if he's going to make the all-star game this year. He's going to make the all-star game multiple times moving forward into the into his career. Uh, he is a stud. He is awesome in terms of his capability of finishing around the basket. Now he is awesome as a overall playmaking hub in the center of the court. And I think that's kind of where I want to start his ability to make plays in the center of the court, either in pocket pass situations from Fred, Fred Van Vliet or entry passes, you know, at the top of the key or at the elbow, things like that. It is the best offense that the Rockets can run, and it is absolutely ridiculously impressive that this dude that is 21 years old is able to create in this way. So I grabbed a couple of clips in terms of what I'm talking about here. So the the first one here is I just kind of want to show how well the Rockets space, the court around Shen And I think that this is something that is totally different from like the Silas era Rockets, right? Ime's spacing has been so much clearer and smarter and crisper. And part of it is because that they have guys like Fred Van Vliet, who you absolutely have to guard at all times. Uh, they have guys like Jabari Smith, who is knocking down shots from three this season, uh, you know, they have guys that are real offensive threats around the court, which means that it just creates oceans of space for Shangoon to operate in that middle of the court area. So on this one, it's just an entry pass, right? Like it's setting up almost like a Spain pick and roll. It seems like you're coming up. Shangoon's going to come up and set this screen here on Jade and Ivy. And you can see uh, Reggie Bullock is coming up behind him to potentially do like a screen the screener on the roll situation, a Spain pick and roll action. Instead, what they decide is Alperin just gets the ball above the three point line and you see Reggie Bullock vacate the area. You see Fred go away from him. It's clear that their spacing principles are just so much better this season in the way that they're thinking about basketball. Uh, And part of this is having guys like Reggie Bullock over 30, having Fred Van Vliet has played more minutes in the NBA than anybody probably over the last five years because of the way Nick Nurse used him. So you create the situation where Alperin Shengun, if you ask him to drive, he is so fluid and capable with the ball in his hands that he is going to find a way to score or to create an open shot where you have to collapse down on him in some respect. So this one here, it's just so ridiculously impressive to see, okay, I'm just going to go spin, spin back, get it through. For a shot. And because he's capable with both his right and his left hand finishing around the basket with those little touch finishes, it's just really hard, even for somebody like Jalen Duran that has a real size advantage on him to be able to do much of anything in this circumstance. So it's the oceans of space that they put him in, the different ways that they utilize that space. So I grabbed another one here too. This one, I just kind of attached this one because of the. Uh, the previous Monty Williams quote about Jaden Ivy that we didn't get to in the Piston section. Hey, yeah, we haven't tried this guy at point guard as much. Someone on the organization like pointed that out to me. Oh, shit, Monty. Like, come on, man. What are we doing? But like, look at Jaden's speed. Like, Just explodes by Reggie Bullock. Just absolutely absurd in terms of his flexibility, burst, everything like that. But now we're going to get Alperin as the trailer here. They're going to set like a sweet little one, almost what do we want to call this? Like a one, three, given that Reggie Bullock, I think is the three. Cause I see Jalen green in the corner there. Yep. So we're going to come through. We're going to set like a one, three ball screen here. Get the switch. Yep. You get the switch. And now Shangoon is just operating as the trailer and in open in oceans of space here. Right. This is, just fantastic offensive design, I think, where you have Shangoon set like almost—I don't know—what do you want to call this? Like a veer kind of screen for Reggie. It's almost a flare, maybe for Reggie to like. Well, Reggie almost takes it as a curl, but I would assume that Reggie's going to go back to the wing three-point line there. Well, they,
1: Jabari just, does. Jabari does a really good job, Sam. This we talked about yeah. this with Jared McCain. Watch what Jabari does here. This is why relocation is so vital to me. I would be Jabari. It's not super crazy. It's just subtle. Jabari relocates to the wing and he doesn't get the ball. But by him relocating to the wing, it allows Reggie to get to the corner. Because if Jabari was still in the corner, Reggie would be hanging out in the dunker spot, which what is Reggie Bullock going to do in the dunker spot? So that subtle relocation just helps with overall team spacing.
0: No, a hundred percent. And honestly, it's something that I think Jabari probably wouldn't have done last year, Sure, Uh, which is growth. Like it's huge growth for this 20 year old who's a killer shooter to be able to understand, hey, instead of Reggie taking this as a flare, he's going to curl around this action on the opposite side from Alperin. If he's going to curl around, eventually he's going to either, you know, get this ball, uh, you know, rolling to the rim or He's going to have to relocate to the corner. It's going to have to be one of the two. So I'm just going to lift. I'm going to do the easy thing. I'm going to lift here. I'm going to relocate into the open space. And again, all it does is just look at this open ocean of space for Shingun to be able to operate in.
1: And Jalen is doing it on the bottom as well. So Fred drove into the lane, kicks to Shingun. Jalen is on the strong side. So hereafter, Fred, it doesn't happen super fast, but now Jalen is lifting to the wing. Fred's getting back out to the corner and it just... And here's the other thing that should be, like, you have Jalen Green who has gravity. You have Fred who shoots almost 40% on eight attempts. Bullock, Jabari Smith Jr. who's at 38% on four and a half attempts. The Pistons aren't a good defensive team, but that's really good floor spacers. You can understand why they're saying, like, we kind of have to leave Durin on an island as good as Alperen Shingun is. And here's the other thing. I've said this about Luca because he's such a good passer it leaves him in isolation situations to score because you don't feel like you can double him and turn him over if they felt like they could double him and make him make a bad mistake they would double him but they know if you double Alprin Shingun he's going to find the teammate that's open and he's going to hurt you that way
0: exactly right I think they are so so smart and to me this is this is Ime as much as anything. And I want to be very clear. Like they did not always do this stuff last year. Like it was part of the really frustrating things about the Rockets. Like this is all very simple stuff. These were young players. It was a coach that was probably not quite a head coach. You know, he's a assistant on the Pistons now. Like um, everybody loves Steven Silas around the league. Thinks he's a great guy, but it's these simple kind of things here where I think Ime is drilled down into them. We're going to play five out basketball. We're going to have good spacing. And I think you're seeing now the effects of that and how it's created a circumstance for Alper and Shangun to be able to really lift his game and become like genuinely a borderline all-star. Like if he gets named to the all-star team, I'm not going to have a problem with that. He's averaging 21.7 points, 8.9 rebounds, 4.8 assists on 54% from the field. Look, I don't have a strong like opinion one way or another if he should make it over Chet, over Wemby. Like these guys are unbelievable uh bigs across the board. And then you look, you know, Rudy Gobert is in this mix. Uh, you know, I guess Carl Towns is in this mix, Jokic will obviously be there. Uh, you know, Demata Sabonis, I think, will probably be there. Anthony Davis. Uh, Anthony Davis will almost certainly be there. Whatever you want to do with the Pelicans guys, because I would imagine that. One of Brandon Ingram or Zion will be there. It, it's a loaded, loaded group. Jaron Jackson Jr. is in Lowry the West Markkanen. as well. Lowry Markinen is there. There are so many great bigs in the West. I, I truly have not parsed through it all. I don't know who should make the all-star game out of all of those guys compar- comparatively to one another. But he's
1: going to be on people's lists, Sam. Like when you guys, when you not start right. to make your list, Alpern Sengun is going to be in the conversation My vibe is he probably gets left off, but there's going to be a lot of with all due respect to Alprin Shingun, as much as I love Alprin Shingun, those type of comments. And, you know, maybe that's as far as it gets this year, but I think that's a huge step forward for him.
0: Yeah, no, it really is. It really is. And I would expect he's going to make a few of these moving forward. Uh Jabari Smith, I think this year has been really, really impressive in the leap that he has taken. Uh, this is something that we expected after summer league where he came in and was the best player, uh, in the two games that he played. I thought he and Tari Eason, I thought just completely blew the doors off the place. Uh, he's averaging 13 and a half points, shooting 47 40, uh, or no, it's, uh, yeah, 47 38, uh, 84 from, you know, the line and he was averaging nine rebounds and the passing still isn't quite there, but, Everything else has just been so, so strong for Jabari and they still find ways to get him the ball. Like in mismatches, I think he's been a little bit more aggressive recently at being able to find those mismatches and play at that level. Uh, but yeah, no, just a terrific, terrific season for Jabari Smith too.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's 54% from two. I, I like to see that in the most recent game against the Pistons. I made multiple notes about, you know, getting out in transition, offensive rebound, made a cut, did something off the bounds. You know, I always believed in Jabari's jumper. I thought it was a beautiful jumper. And, you know, going back and watching some of his shots from college, it just, I, I don't know that many guys have made me just go, oh my gosh, as many times as he did with some of his shot making. It was, you know, could he lower his hips and get you off the bounce and you know leverage that shooting ability mm-hmm. into something more? And then I don't think the defense, he was a rookie. The defense wasn't quite what I think people thought it was going to be, and now that seems to be coming around as well. One other thing I want to say about Shingun, I have tried to watch for contact balance from players more and more. I think that's super valuable. Yeah. We'll talk about this with the prospect. We're going to talk about the, the end and Jalen Tyson because I think he has this. Shingun, yeah. I feel like has really good contact balance. He is much stronger than what I give him credit for coming into the year. And that plays out in the isolations. It plays out whenever he runs pick and roll or it, when he's rolling in a pick and roll. It's really important. And he really has it.
0: Yeah. And the other thing I want to point out about Shingun and Jabari Smith, particularly, because they end up kind of being the bigs in like ball screen actions and in primary actions pretty regularly I think that both of those guys, and again, this is a credit to them. It's a credit to the coaching staff, Ime Yudoka, everybody there. It feels like they're really locked in on what the scout is in terms of what kinds of shots they want teams to shoot. Uh, like for instance, in that Pistons game, like when Isaiah Stewart would be the person screening and Alperin would be guarding, you know, as the big in the ball screen defense and drop it felt like he would even do like sometimes like delayed doubles, like even after somebody like Fred Van Vliet had gotten through the screen because he was just like, you know what? Like I would much rather Isaiah Stewart take a three than, you know, Jaden Ivy, whoever, you know, get a chance to get a shot at the rim, get a chance to blow by in some way, shape or form, get a mid range jumper, etc. Right. Uh, they're good at like forcing. It feels like mid range jumpers. They're good at th- It feels like they're just really locked into what they're trying to do and what they're trying to accomplish. I think every time I watch them on defense
1: and that shouldn't go undervalued because I don't think every team does that. And it's, it's hard on an NBA schedule because you're playing back to back and you know, all of those things and adjusting from one scheme, not that maybe they're completely changing their scheme, but just how you're going to guard a guy. Uh, one other note I wanted to make. 53% of their points scored by players under 23. This was the highest in the NBA by far. So this goes back to how I started my thought process of I overcompensated with the Fred Van, like these free agent signings, like, oh, they're going for it. And it's going to be a veteran led team with those guys take, no, no. This is still a young team led by young talent that's getting all the chances to succeed. There's a little bit of overlap, right? We've talked about it with Cam and Tade and Tari Easton and all yeah. that. They'll, they'll work that out. They'll get it. Amin and and Amin's going to take a little bit of time, but I just that was a very impactful stat to me that their young guys are still doing loads of their scoring. With that said, real quick shout out Jeff Green. This man is still yeah, putting definitely. in work night in, night out, has some highlight dongs. Like shout out to him for still doing his thing at this point in his career. And I think providing some real value. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the hole at center and him having to play as a backup five, the, the minutes he does. But I mean, when he's been asked to do it, his 16 minutes a night, he, he's done an admirable job in, in what I've watched.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. Like he's worked really, really hard. He's been good schematically defensively as well. It feels like he's just limited, right? Yeah, Cause he's sure. six, eight, six, nine, whatever yep. he is. Absolutely. Uh, Tari Eason has missed some time here recently. I love the energy and aggression that Tari Eason gives every single game, uh, that he's on the court. Every single minute he's on the court, he play like he helps them play with like attitude. It feels yep. like to me, if he could finish at the basket, <laughs> I think he would have like real all-star upside. I'm not joking when, when I say this, like I don't know if he's ever going to be able to finish at the basket well enough to actually reach that ceiling, but my God, like he is able to get to the rim. He's so aggressive attacking the offensive glass. If he could finish at the rim and then he continues along the trajectory he's on currently as a shooter, he's making 36% of his threes, almost all of them open you know, again, like Pedro just brings this up. Like Tari just makes good things happen all the time. That's yep. right. His presence is infectious. He is super valuable out there. I love watching Tari Eason, please Tari, whatever you can do. I just beg you fi- learn to finish at the rim. Like yeah. if you can do that, the game changes, I think for him in such a substantial way. Uh, cause you then really have to like pay attention to him across the board. Uh, regardless, he's going to be like a you know top. He's going to be something in the NBA. Like he's a starting quality player uh, as soon as next season to me. And really, there's a case he is already with how he impacts the game. Uh, as long as the shooting continues to hold at 36, uh, you know Fred VanVleet. We haven't talked about him a ton, but I think Fred has just been so steady and so solid. You look at the leadership as well. Like when you watch Rockets games, they show a lot of clips of. You know, this is something that we talked about last year, a lot on this podcast with Adam and things like when I would watch the Rockets, it seemed like there was no accountability. Uh, there was no accountability. There was not the proper levels of accountability across each player. When you watch them now, it's Fred Van Vleek going over, having conversations after breakdowns. It's Ime Yudoka having conversations after breakdowns, trying to get guys in the right place, getting guys in the right frame of mind, uh, Having Fred as like that on court coach, I think has been so, so, so important and valuable to them.
1: Yeah. Culture matters, and he's been a huge part of it. The other thing is like he does it by example. He gets after it defensively. He has great hands. And he just He'll dive on the floor. He'll take a charge. He'll, he'll do all these things you want your young players to do, but he's not just telling them. It's not just email asking them to do it. He's saying, look at your veteran culture setter, Fred Van Vliet. Watch him do all of these things, literally yep. show you that he's willing to do it at this point in his. Oh, there was another one where just the epitome of i love guards that get involved in the board sam like i just love a guard that on the weak side is willing to make a rotation and get a box out or whatever i think it was against the Cavs, he makes a weak side rotation and he gets in there and gets a old school box out on jarrett allen and i'm just like i love this i love this about fred van vliet and if fred's willing yeah. to do it then you know who needs to do that cam whitmore like Cam Whitmore starts winning on the margins by doing things like that. And then the Rockets really have somebody because we all, you and I believe he can score the crap out of the ball. If Cam yeah. Whitmore starts making weak side rotations for box outs, now you're talking about just him adding a whole nother level of value to your team. So I, I think having someone that shows that the Eme can take the film and say, look what Fred is doing. Watch him dive on this ball in the fourth quarter. I think that's more impactful than just him just saying it. He's able to show it from kind of the culture setter of your team.
0: It's 100% right. You know what the most important like statistical change is for me with the Rockets this year? Do you know what they finished last year in turnover rate offensively?
1: So they're top 10 this year, let's say bottom eight.
0: Yeah, they finished 29th last year in turnover rate on offense. What what an
1: improvement.
0: Yeah, this year they're ninth. That is the Fred Van Vliet. That's awesome. Change. That is the Fred Van Vliet. So important to have somebody who can just be that guy for you. I think you can run the show, who consistently gets everybody the ball in the spots that they need the ball. I think he's been so, so valuable the entire way.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: 100%. Okay. We're not going to talk a lot about Cam Whitmore, Amen Thompson, and even Jalen Green. We talked a lot about them on the last episode that Bryce and I recorded, which is the Rookies podcast. Uh, I think we seriously talked about those guys for probably like 15 minutes. So if you want to listen to stuff on those guys specifically, I would say go back and listen to that episode, which I think we recorded on Thursday or Friday. Yeah, right?
1: just a few days ago. Yep.
0: So... Go back, go listen to that if you want more in depth takes on where we're at on those guys. Uh, and I'm ready to move on and talk about this Atlanta mess. <laughs> Let's do it. The Atlanta Hawks are 15 and 23. <laughs> the fact you've 27th, like- 27th in defense, 8th in offense, it, it just continues to be much of the same, you know, structurally for Atlanta. It's just that now they're bad. And before they were like, okay, Uh, they started not great last season under Nate McMillan. And then they bring in Quinn Snyder. Uh, Quinn, I thought, really helped them kind of turn things around a little bit late last year. And just from a even shot like distribution perspective, it just looked cleaner. It looked better. The problem now for them is that. It looks fine, but they still can't defend. And what is happening with this core defensively just very clearly needs like a shakeup. They bring in DeJounte Murray in order to potentially help the backcourt defense. I don't think he's been as good defensively in Atlanta as he's been in San Antonio. Uh, The off ball, I think, effort has been just like a little bit lacking. Uh, You know, DeAndre Hunter, they draft him in order to like change their defensive scheme in some way shape or form getting this big long six foot eight guy with a seven foot two wingspan who can shut down everybody he's fine as a shutdown defender like he's good like on the ball one-on-one taking on matchups he just doesn't really help you in terms of being able to like limit the court in help situations. I don't think like he just isn't impactful or disruptive as an off ball defender. I think Clint Capella this year seems to have taken a real step back. Like he's looks a step slow and not quite as bouncy. When I've watched him, he's dealt with like this Achilles thing for the last couple of years that seems to not be going away super well, you know, Bogdan, Bogdanovich is having a great year. I think you, can't really throw this at the feet of Trey young. If I'm being completely honest, like I know that's a popular sentiment that Trey just can't be a winner, everything like that. I don't think that's the case this year. I think he's been awesome. You especially look like over the course of the last like couple of months, he, I think has been absolutely outstanding. You look at his last, I don't know what you want to call it. Let's go with you know 25 games here he's averaging 28.9 points 11 assists shooting 45 38 83 uh i think that again like the defense it's not great but it's not disastrous it doesn't kill you i i i don't know man it's it's hard it's really really hard for me to I think they need to just like tear this thing down entirely around Trey and like try to rebuild it around Trey. Um, And, you know, maybe if it doesn't work, you know, you consider moving Trey at some point. But like I'm trying to rebuild this around Trey and I'm trying to move everything else around him to make it work.
1: Okay. So that's what I was going to ask. What is the young core like or the core, not young core, but what is the core? Because to me, I would, I think it's Trey. I also really like Jalen Johnson. So I think I would probably hold on to Jalen Johnson as well. And then I would figure out the rest of it, right? It seems like the DeJounte Murray thing has run its course and he's going to be moved. You know, what do you want to do with Sadiq Bey? Like, do you want to pay him this offseason? A guy who I know people want to tag him as a three and D guy. I don't think he's that great defensively. And he's only shooting 34% from three on five and a half attempts. So, you know, while he does make shots, like how valuable is that, and how much are you going to have to pay him there? The Capella and A Kongwu thing is like, seems like Capella has run his course. Maybe you turn it over to A Kongwu. I don't. There's just so many. I like some of these individual pieces. That's what's weird to me with this team. Bogdan Bogdanovich, like every time he's just putting up numbers, he's probably. Six man of the year candidate if they're not, what are they right now? 15 and 23 and not even in the play-in. So I I just, I'm with you. I I think Trey Young has been really, really good. I guess the other course would be you essentially trade off everybody. The other thing is you get past their top eight guys and they get nothing. AJ Griffin has only played in 15 games buffkins played in two games like none of these other guys these recent draft picks and i realize they've been trying to win but you're getting nothing so there's not even depth here to be excited about so it it would be really really i think it's it's time to do something i lean towards you but i imagine there's opinions out there that says no move trey young and i mean i guess then you're going full break it down to the bare bones and getting rid of almost everybody
0: yeah. I mean, you mentioned Sadiq Bey. Sadiq Bey, over his last 17 games, is shooting 27.9% from three. I mean, this is what Sadiq Bey does. Like, he's streaky. Yes, he goes streaky. through hot stretches. Absolutely. Yep. And, like, has great runs and then has some moments where he struggles. Uh, yeah, look, you know, Corey Zanoni brings up retooling around Trey makes sense, but I'm pushing a trade of the Spurs agenda this trade season and off season just for kicks. Honestly, I love the idea of Trey in San Antonio kind of across the board. <laughs> like it gives Atlanta it's picks back plus other stuff. Uh, Cause I'm sure that you could do that, which means Atlanta could enter like a full rebuild tank kind of situation. Uh, I think Trey would be incredible with Victor. I think that's like the ideal like way to make Trey work defensively is just have somebody cleaning up every Everything. single <laughs> thing imaginable on the court with his court coverage. I, I think that it, that is a trade that makes an immense amount of sense to me across the board. I cannot imagine them doing that at the deadline. Like I, I just do not think that that's a thing that they will go down, but yeah, I I love the idea of Trey and San Antonio at some point for sure. Um, yeah, it's my, my guess is that they try and rebuild this around Trey at the, you know, it, it everything, It, 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 at the deadline here, they move Bogdan, they move DeAndre, they move everybody and see what, um, see what it looks like.
1: Do you think Trey gets a little too much hate at this point? Like I've listened to some stuff recently where I'm like, I, I realize he has his flaws, right? Like he's not, he's not Steph Curry. I get it. Trey young is really good though. I feel like, and I think we talked about this maybe on the last episode or maybe a couple ago, to be the focal point of the offense the way he is and to take the usage he does and st- I, I, I know the efficiency isn't great right 42 percent from the field but 27 and 11 is still really really hard to do I just I, I'm not saying he's in the upper echelon of NBA players but I think at some point these the pendulum swings on some of these guys too much to where it's like in a weird way he's almost undervalued as a player which seems kind of crazy to say.
0: Yeah, like Andre in the comments here says like, guys, if a player can't elevate their team with a decent supporting cast, you're overrated. Trey isn't that guy. Look, I mean, Trey took them to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like, he kind of did elevate his team (laughs) at that point, right? Like, if you watch those games, it was him that was carrying them on offense. It was him that was kind of wrecking Joel Embiid and the Sixers and the pick and roll, right? Like, I kind of think that he does elevate his team. It's just that you have to have a very specific situation around him to make it work, and Atlanta, as of right now, does not necessarily have that. So, look, I, I think you're, I-, I think you're looking at like moving Dejounte Murray. Like Pedro asks, like, what do we think they're getting in a Dejounte trade? I think like a first rounder and a prospect sounds right two- to
1: me. Two real assets. like the, I, I, That's the way I try to think of it. I yeah. mean, I know that's a little bit like, well, what does real assets mean, Bryce? But two real, like a real first-round pick and then a real prospect, something like two real assets of some sort is what I would think with DeJounte. Real quick on trade two. There's a lot of guys that fall in. You need a really good context around them for them to like make a deep 100%. run in the playoffs. And th- there's very few guys where you can say, Oh, just literally put whatever type of players around them and they'll make it work. Like you, a, a lot of look, a lot of guys need that. A lot of guys need that, and Trey, of course, has his shortcomings. He's small. He's not that good defensively. The efficiency isn't always great, but he still has a skill set and abilities that not a whole lot of people walking around in the NBA have.
0: I think it's absolutely right. Uh, someone asked about Dejounte or uh, DeAndre Hunter's trade value. Uh, is he a slightly negative value asset due to contract and injuries? <sighs> I, I don't know what DeAndre would get in a trade, like just being fully transparent. Like I could see a team like Sacramento if they miss out on some guys going, hey, we'll do something like Harrison Barnes and a first round pick for DeAndre Hunter, thinking that DeAndre might be a value add comparatively on defense. Harrison has looked quite slow on defense this year, I think. Uh And like you can get off of the Harrison Barnes contract, which isn't a great deal. Like I wonder if something like that kind of makes sense for both sides a little bit. Uh, uh, yeah. I just don't, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, he's one that I struggle with. Like the two guys that I've struggled most with, I have a NBA trade deadline, big board coming out tomorrow. Him and Terry Rozier were the two that I struggled Ooh, yeah. most with. Uh, Cause Rozier, you know, has been you know, amazing this year. He was not good last year. He was really good. The two years before he was not good the year before in Charlotte. So like, what do you do with all of that information? Plus another guy that is like dealt with some injuries has two years after this one left on his deal, at like 25.1 million or 25.5, maybe something like that. Uh, yeah. Someone brought up Austin Reeves and a 2029 pick for DeJounte. I cannot imagine Austin Reeves is getting moved in a DeJounte Murray deal. That seems aggressive to me.
1: The one that I keep hearing is what if you add Bogdan, Onto that, so it's you're not just getting Dejounte, but you're getting Dejounte and Bogdanovich. Then would the Lakers consider adding Austin Reeves?
0: That's interesting. It's more interesting, um, but I, I would. i It's more interesting trying to find a way to make that money work is probably a little bit difficult, but. Yeah, that's more interesting to me.
1: Yeah, because now you have to add in like Rui or maybe D like you have to add in more contracts. And for the Lakers, that's going to be guys that are in the rotation as well. So, yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, The A.J. Griffin aspect is so interesting. I have no idea what's going on with A.J. Griffin. (laughs) Truly, like I have absolutely no idea what's going on there. Uh, I thought he was pretty decent last year under Nate McMillan. You would think in theory he makes a lot of sense for Quinn Snyder with the way that Quinn wants to space the floor and do things that way. I, I uh, honestly, I can't really figure out what's going on with AJ Griffin. It's bizarre, but the entire situation in Atlanta is bizarre. Uh, look, I think like you rebuild around Trey, Jalen, Kobe, Bufkin, see you the way it goes and then kind of go from there. Yep. So yeah, it's not, not ideal. Okay. Atlanta, uh, I don't really have anything else to say to you. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I'm good.
0: I'm also good on Atlanta. Next up is Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard has signed an extension with the L.A. Clippers. And there are, like, probably five guys in the league this year that, like, I have truly just so thoroughly enjoyed watching. Uh, In the NBA, Kawhi Leonard is undeniably on that list for me. He has been incredible this season. He has been absolutely, like, unfathomably good to me, it feels like. He is so obviously, I think, one of the five best players in the league when he's playing like this and when he's right and when he is physically uh, just capable to stay on the court and stay on it for long. And that has been the case for him this season. He's had no problem staying on the court. Uh, I I just love everything about what he has done uh, this season. He signed a three-year, $153 million contract extension. That is not the max that he was capable of signing for. Uh, He is going to make $52 million next year. And then a little bit over 50, I believe, over the course of each of the next two years after that Uh, doesn't have a player option uh does have a trade kicker to where like if he was to get moved like he'd get a little bit more money. This this is a crazy contract to me for the Clippers to get a guy like this for the non-max. I mean my god.
1: Yeah, this is a big win for them and what is Looks like the most games he's going to play, knock on wood, since at least 2016, 2017. He's right now having near career year and field goal percentage, three-point percentage, all all of these things. Just playing incredible. Uh, I think a couple episodes ago we talked about, or some I think you asked me, like, who's your favorite league pass team? Or maybe this was a different podcast I do. I don't know. But I said the Thunder. Crazy enough, Sam. The Clippers are really close behind that in They're terms of teams. I enjoy watching. I think it must've been one where I was talking about the Pistons. Cause I said outside the Pistons, who do you enjoy watching play? Thunder is easily number one, but for not thinking I would enjoy watching a Hargaden PG 13 Kauai Clippers team. I love it. And I know this is the Kauai segment, but I love what Zubats does, what Terrence Mann does. These guys off the bit, all of that. I'm really intrigued by the Clippers overall. And it looks like this is the first step of them keeping this core around for another couple of years. They still got to do it with PG 13. Uh, James Harden, I don't think, can do anything until the offseason, but I, I would assume all of these things will, will happen. And listen, I think they're real contenders. I mean, we feel like we've talked about this. They're top four in the West right now, and they seem to be figuring it out. And Kawhi is a huge, huge part of that, as you outline playing. Some of his the best basketball of his career and some of the best basketball in the league.
0: Yeah. Over his last nineteen games, he missed like a quick little four game stretch in there. But over his last nineteen, he's averaging twenty seven points, six and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, one point seven steals, shooting fifty seven percent from the field, forty nine percent from three, ninety one percent from the line. I mean, like, just look at this dude. Like, truly. I grabbed this from the Clippers social account, but like, it's the pure, like fundamental polish, right? Like he's just going to back this guy down and just like throw up this obscene, like big, like step fade away where he's wrong footed. And then he's going to turn in midair, realign his body in midair. Being able to make these shots is ridiculous it is completely absurd that's jaron jackson jr is a seven foot four wingspan who is like one of the two or three best defensive players in the league contesting this shot and his release point is so high that not even jaron can really contest it
1: yeah i mean if people don't i I don't mean to insult anybody here but if you don't know how hard it is it's a right Handed shooter to turn over your left shoulder in this situation and shoot. Like just go outside, go to the park, whatever, and do it over your left shoulder and your right shoulder and see it's just so much easier to go over your right shoulder. Like it just feels much more fluid and doing it over his left like that, and then you paused it perfectly a little bit ago with where his feet were completely misaligned. But now look where you have it paused, Sam. Look at his body and how he's able to get everything in line the way he does. It's just amazing. He's look at his feet. That's, that's how his feet are whenever he takes off. And then as he gets into the air, he's able to align everything and knock this down. This is an insane. With that contest, that's an insane shot. It, this is like, this is the
0: stuff where I say that he is the closest to Jordan that I have seen play since Jordan plays it just stylistically. Right. Like purely in terms of style, being able to get to this shot and like Kobe did this shit as well. It's also similar with him. Like, you know, it's all of this. Like he is so sick in terms of his way to be able to do that. It's really, really is the closest is like the next he's the next guy like in the Jordan, Kobe, Kawhi like run of players to me uh it's it's the polish it's the simplicity with wh- the way that he's able to do it all despite all of this not being very simple like this is like you said impossibly fucking hard to go up like this this is where his feet are it's just a jumper like it's a mid-range jumper at the end of the day but the complexity within that mid-range jumper is so ludicrous to me. And then this one here, it's the ability to string together moves like off the bounce, like three straight between the legs, get Concher just like very slightly off balance, right? Like his ability to recognize even the smallest little steps, right? So he's going to recognize Concher's right foot, just get like so slightly high here. He's going to see him go in the air a little bit. He's going to see Contra's right foot up in the air there. He's going to put it right back between his legs. He sees Contra like jump a little bit and get jump up in the air a
1: little just bit. A little bit. Yep.
0: That smallest amount is all that Kawhi needs. If you get even just the tiniest little bit in the air like that, he's so good at recognizing opposing players momentum and their balance and where exactly he can go to get to his shot. And Oh, by the way, this is what his footwork looks like on this shot. Again, going to his right, stopping popping, getting realigned in midair, knocking that shot down. Just an absurd, absurd player, uh, who is worth every dollar, I think, for the Clippers. I get their injury concerns. And really, like the disappointing thing for me is that like if Kawhi did not have these like knee whatever it is issues that he has. This is probably like a top 20 player of all time. If not more than that. Uh, I don't know if he's going to have the career where he's going to end up going down in that rung of players. Maybe if they win the title this year, it won't matter. Like it, it might just be that, you know, this guy wins three finals MVPs and three titles for three separate teams where he's, you know, the best player on two of those teams. And it's just like, well, fuck, we can't do anything like it we can't tell this guy shit. Like he is very clearly a top 20 player of all time. Uh, If that happens, like I'm all for it. Uh, I, I have loved watching Kawhi Leonard as much as I have loved watching any player in the NBA this season.
1: So you just broke down all of his mid range stuff. You want to guess what he's shooting from zero to three feet so far through 34 games this year from, from the rim to three feet via B ball reference. I'll give you an over under Sam over under 85% I would have said
0: my number was going to be like 77% 89% yeah that's like not human
1: so at the rim and these are, you know, he is a mid-range operator, right? So he does a lot from 3 to 16 feet where he's over 50%, by the way, on, yeah, 49, 48% of his shot attempts. Only 14% of his attempts were from 0 to 3 feet. I get it. It's not like he's just getting there. That percentage is insane. Like, that is ridiculous for someone to shoot that well at the rim. I also just love it looking his career trajectory of how many of his field goals were assisted early in his career and then just how he grew and progressed and got better. But then you also see this year, those numbers have ticked up a little bit where I feel like he's going, okay, I'll play within the context and the construct of this team as well. So shout out him for, for all of this stuff. Like I think he's another player that at times you know, I think we forget about a little bit just how good he is because of the injuries and let's see it in the playoffs and everybody's just waiting for the next injury yep. to happen. We got to appreciate while we're seeing it.
0: So I just did math real quick on. So he has 35 dunks this year. Yep. Right. Yep. Even if you remove the dunks, he's shooting 86% at the rim.
1: Yep. <laughs> he's yep.
0: shooting at the rim on non dunks on insane. That's unbelievable. It's truly like unfathomably unbelievable that he's this good. Uh, The other thing I want to talk about with this is the way it could impact the deadline in the off season. So Kawhi was one of the best free agents on the market. Paul George is one of the best free agents on the market. Potentially has not signed an extension yet. Look like I'd imagine the Clippers are trying to run this back with these guys. And if you're going to sign Kawhi, it seems unlikely to me that you would not sign Paul George. Correct. So we'll see what happens there. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I- I'm kind of working under the assumption rightly or wrongly. And this is, this is not based on Intel. I want to be clear about that too. Cause I have to start saying that uh, this time of year. Uh-huh. I- I- I'm guessing that this leads to a Paul George extension. Yeah. So then you look at the rest of the free agency class, LeBron in theory, but like we'll see, right? I guess it's not impossible that LeBron leaves, but it seems unlikely to me. Pascal Siakam is a free agent. After that, man, like it's, it's hard to find, guys that are like real real difference makers uh james harden but james harden you know looks great right now for the clippers but looks great right now as a third guy i think like that that's a big piece of why i think harden has been great this year yeah uh Clay thompson does not look like a real like tried and true like max guy at this point uh you know drew holiday is a free agent after this year we'll see what happens with drew like plausible that he could be like a real difference maker for somebody he's looked good this year not great in my opinion demar is a free agent i think demar has looked really good this year i don't know if demar is a max guy anymore tobias harris is in this mix mike conley uh og ananobi obviously but like we're assuming that og is probably staying with new york at this point Ooh, yeah. Jonas Allen Schunus, uh, you know, just kind of looking around like restricted free agency. It's that twenty twenty draft where most of the guys are already locked up. So it's like Pat Williams, uh Okoro, you know, Obi Toppin, like guys like that, kind of. Sadiq Bay is in this mix, Precious, Maxi is a restricted free agent, but we're assuming he's gonna, you know, stay in Philly, obviously. So Basically these teams that are, I think looking toward the offseason to potentially improve. I wonder if they decide they have to move up their timeline a little bit. For instance, one team that has been yeah. trying to maintain its flexibility is Philadelphia. Philadelphia has been hoping, Hey, nothing comes available. We can just have max cap space this summer and make something work that way. And again, variety of ways to use max cap space. You don't have to use it in free agency. You can use it in trades. Having said that, I wonder if the OG trade, the Kawhi extension, potentially a Paul George extension if that comes soon, I wonder if that changes Philadelphia's calculus a little bit to where they decide we just have to make this move now and find a guy on the market that like really works for us.
1: Yeah, I mean, that seems to be where they'd have to go, right? Is they just, they find whoever pops at this deadline. I I feel like the name that continues to come up and come up and is going to is Siakam. I guess he would be the one, though, where maybe Philly goes, he's going to survive the deadline and just become, like, surely Toronto's not going to let that happen, though, right? Like, they're not going to let him, they're not going to let the Fred Van Vliet thing play out yet again. And so, yeah, uh, that... Philadelphia is obviously the name that comes up here, right? In terms of they were going to be major players in the offseason. They have all of these expiring contracts, nothing on the books other than Embiid, Maxi, and I think Springer. But if there's nothing to spend, I mean, you can still swing a trade the, this offseason as well, I guess. But yeah, I mean, it, it seems like maybe they would be a little bit more inclined to try to make a move at the deadline. But what's the, what's the name other than see Ockham who you possibly could sign in the, do they get on it? it, Like, does Dejounte make sense there next to Tyrese Maxey? Um,
0: no, I mean like maybe it's like Dejante, DeMar, somebody like that. But like, again, like I don't, I don't love those ideas if I'm being completely honest. Like, do do you try and like, I don't think the Kings just like give away Kevin Herter. Uh, like I think they're trying to use Herter to go get involved in a similar deal with it. Sixers are trying to do go get like a real dude so yeah I I don't know frankly like maybe you go and just get like Bogdan Bogdanovich and do that something like that uh maybe it's maybe it's multiple moves maybe it's like Marcus Morris and a first for Bogdan and then it's you know Robert Covington and X for and Jaden Springer and like a pick or whatever, and something for DeJounte or something like that. Like it's obviously both guys on the Hawks, but like, I'm just spitballing here. Maybe it's, maybe it's Bogdan and Damar. I don't know. I'm just like, like do it's going really to really interesting to see what they do.
1: Do you think they have to star hunt? Quote unquote. I mean, you have Embiid who's a top three, five player in the league. Top three. You have Maxi who's like borderline all-star right now you know, is Maxi good enough to be the number two on a title contender? And then you just kind of build out. I'm not saying you just get like role players, but maybe you can be a little more specific with who you go and get around those two. Or do you still think they need a little bit more punch than the guys I'm talking about?
0: I think they need one more guy. Like, I think they need one more like
1: real like dude.
0: Yeah. kind of guy. Okay. Uh, maybe they don't, maybe they can just like go find like a, you know, look, Denver did it last year with Nicola and Jamal Murray when it was, you know, KCP, Aaron Gordon and Michael Porter jr. Next to him. Yeah. And like that, that's honestly, if I was them, the kind of model I would be building toward at this point is something like that. So going to get guys that accentuate your stars. Uh, and I don't know if demar does that. I don't know if you know, Zach Levine, I think certainly doesn't do that. um, you know, DeJounte, I, I don't think DeJounte really does that for them, if I'm being
1: honest. Well, we've talked uh, about him being next to high usage guys. It's not just that Maxi is, you know, handling the ball a lot. It's you run a majority of your offense through Joel Embiid. DeJounte may touch the ball less in Philly than he does in Atlanta right now, because he's at least kind of the second option in Atlanta, just behind Trey in Philly. Yeah. Again, it's Embiid's obviously the number one option. And then Maxi has the ball a lot as well.
0: Yeah. So it, I will be interested to see what Philly does. Maybe like, honestly, maybe they do try and just like pay up for Alex Caruso or somebody like that and make him like the KCP. And they try and like,
1: what if you know, just run get- in DeRozan and Caruso? Like I know DeRozan may not be the best fit, but you bring in both of those guys. I don't know what they have. If they, you know, they, I, I assume they'd have the assets to go do that. And you bring Caruso. We've talked about it. Insane contract the Mars on an expiring, so you can decide what you want to do with him, but the Mars close Maybe. to that level of a player, at least for a couple of years, like he, he's playing well right now. I think the Mars still good, even though he's getting up there in age. And then Caruso does all the things we've talked about with him.
0: Maybe that, that might be a smart deal. That might be the one that like makes a little bit more sense for them. But again, that would require the pools moving Caruso yeah. and like all yeah, yeah. of the reporting is that they don't want to move Caruso. So you know who knows. The um,
1: Bulls are going to stay in pat Sam because they're like ninth in the East right now, and they're going. Hey, we're going to make the play in tournament. We're just gonna we're going to keep all of this together. It's crazy.
0: It's absolutely crazy.
1: Shout out Kobe. Um, White.
0: My God, uh, Kobe White. We've talked about that recently. He has been great. Okay, let's get into a little bit of draft here for ten minutes. Okay. We want to talk NBA draft prospect of the week. Jalen Tyson out of Cal. You are the NBA draft prospect of the week. Six foot, seven wing, pretty good length. Like, looks like he has really like long arms. I would say, I don't know, plus four, something like that. Like, plus five or so wingspan. I'm just kind of spitballing, ballparking it. This is a kid that went to Texas as a top 35 ish recruit in the country. A guy that frankly like most scouts thought would be a couple of years but would be an nba player eventually he was he took a very circuitous route to get to where he is went to texas the whole beard thing happens he leaves goes to texas tech after that cuz originally he followed he committed to texas tech under chris beard when beard decided he was going to go coach texas followed beard to texas then decided, you know, Dallas kid, I'm going to go back to Texas Tech, which is where I originally recruit was recruited. Well, I go play for Mark Adams and allegedly, reportedly, everything like that, uh, Mark Adams made racist comments toward Jalen Tyson, which made Jalen Tyson decide to leave. So now we fast forward to this year. He leaves, goes to Cal. It takes like a whole process to get him eligible where like there's a media push like to say like, Hey, like what are we doing? Like, how is this kid not cleared yet to be able to play after what happened to him at Texas tech gets cleared. And he's been awesome at Cal basically from the moment he got there under new coach, Mark Madsen. Uh, I, I love what I've seen from Jalen Tyson. This point I mentioned at the top, I have a first round grade on him right now. I think he's a first round pick. I do. He's averaging points, seven point three rebounds, 3.1 assists shooting percent from the field 37.7 percent from three 80 percent from the line those are bonkers numbers obviously uh yesterday against oregon they end up losing by seven cal is not a great team but it's not not a good fault yeah uh he goes for 20 points 10 rebounds two assists on uh eight of 18 from the field he's often just relied on to create so so much for them uh The game that really stood out, though, was the Colorado game earlier this week. He goes for 30 points, five rebounds, two assists on 10 of 15 from the field, seven of seven from the line was just a monster in that game. Honestly, like he had two assists in like the numbers. When you look at his assists, they don't pop. I think he can really pass. Like, I think he reads the court super well. He finds like cross-court kickouts cross-wing kickouts consistently he finds little dump-offs little like you know live dribble passes that he can make to be able to create for his teammates they just don't make shots around him a lot of the time i think jalen tyson is a is a stud he he has been awesome this season what has been your opinion on tyson
1: Yeah, just real quick, he actually led California back to a win over Colorado in that game when they were down by 20. So, uh, you know, his team isn't very good, but he did bring him back in that. Yeah, I think he has really good fill passing, not like a crazy creative ball handler, but I would just call practical usage. I think he does that well. I like his passing. He tries to move defenders with his eyes, all of that stuff. I'm interested. You know, he does a lot of like primary creating, you know, does all that stuff translate to an off the ball rule that I think he'll have in the NBA. And then I talked about this earlier, strong physical driver. I don't know how else to say this. He just, he has a low center of gravity. It seems like, like a strong base. He looks thick in his lower half and that allows him to take contact when he's driving, when he gets to the rim and takes contact there, he plays angle. He does have some stuff to his handle. I, I think the shot is interesting. It like gets to the top of his head. He almost pauses and then he shoots it. But at the end of the day, the numbers say that this kid can shoot. The three-point percentage is good and the free throw percentage is good. And then when he does play off the ball, he's done some cutting and offensive rebounding. So offensively, I really, really like his game, his body, those type of things. Defensively, I don't think he's been great, but he has such a high offensive usage. He, He strikes me as a player that will be better defensively when that scales down a little bit.
0: So a couple of different notes to piggyback off of there. You mentioned the shot like that. You don't love the shot. I think the shot's fine. Like, okay. yeah, you're right. He does have the little pause at the top, but he elevates into it. It's a very high release point as well. Additionally, he gets to it. You know, sim- Look, I'm going to bring up the name Kawhi Leonard. He's nowhere near Kawhi Leonard, but like he gets to the shot from a wide variety of footworks in a similar way. Like he does not need to have his feet aligned to the rim before he shoots. He can both get to a, uh, step back going toward his left. Like most guys that are right-handed shooters can way easier. And he can also shift gears with his handle and like get the ball, you know, going to the right and drift into those shots to the right really, really well. I think that's a, that shot versatility is a really, really important factor when looking at if he's going to translate as a shooter, as a potential relocator creator kind of situation. Uh, the thing that I worry about, like not a great athlete, obviously like not a explosive dude, although has had some like awesome dunks. <laughs> like there was one that I shared with you. I was like, this is one of the best plays I've seen all season.
1: Yeah. He yep.
0: takes an empty side ball screen from Fardos, a like splits the empty side ball screen. And then like euros into a dunk, like all over somebody against Colorado. And I'm just like, what in the fuck did I just watch? Yeah. Uh, Can get up and like do some stuff, but he's just like not overly quick. Like it's slower Twitch in terms of, uh, you know, it's, it's not accelerating. It's not sudden. It's more just like very technical and very polished. And he can string moves together at a really, really high level as well. Um, yeah, I, like, I love that he recognizes mismatches at a really high level. Uh, he like, will go onto the block and like post up smaller guards sometimes and use that high release point to score. I, I think he's like a, he is a first round pick to me. Like when I watch him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had his name come across a couple months ago. I got him on my board, you know, and all of that stuff. He slowly moved up, slowly moved up and people started talking about him a little bit more. So I tried to catch some more games and some of this stuff gets a little easier in conference. Cause you can watch him against Colorado where you can scout three other, you know, NBA draft prospects in the yeah. same game and Simpson Williams and Da Silva. And so I've watched more recently and he's just been really good and he's been good against really good teams. You know, that's the other thing. It's not like he just killed non-conference bad opponent like he's been good in pac 12 play against some some good competition as well so so So. let me
0: let me let me piggyback off of that while you you mentioned that uh in his last six games he has played arizona arizona state usc ucla colorado and oregon of those teams i would say arizona colorado and oregon are the three teams that are like pretty good potential ncaa tournament teams colorado and arizona certainly ncaa tournament teams in those games, he is averaging 22.8 points, 7.8 rebounds, shooting 55% from the field, 45% from three, 82% from the line, uh, 2.3 assists, two steals, does have three turnovers. So it's a negative turnover, but 65.3 true shooting percentage over those six games against what I would say are like good teams, like USC, like whatever you want to say, like USC is a fine defensive team at least like they can't do anything on fucking offense, but like they are a fine defensive team. UCLA is a catastrophe. Uh, Arizona state has been kind of messy this year, but like those are real teams that he's playing and he has been as productive as anybody in the country this year. Uh, This is a, and this is a wing. This is a long wing. I think defensively, like he's, I agree with you. He's not been awesome on that end, he shows flashes and they have him guard like tough guys. Like he guarded Tristan DeSilva Silva for like a big portion of that game against Colorado. So I'm a fan. Uh, I really like what I've seen from Jalen Tyson.
1: Yeah. uh, He's really excited. I'm, I'm excited to continue to watch. Although I feel like I have a pretty good handle on who he is as a player. And yeah, I mean, I think having him at 25 is very reasonable. That's where I have him right now. I don't know that he climbs any higher than that, but I mean, like you've said a couple of times, he is a first round pick.
0: I think there's a non-zero chance he's a lottery pick in this class. I don't quite have him there right now, but I think that like when you look around this class and what it is, I think there is a non-zero chance he ends up being a lottery pick.
1: I can see it continue to climb. On that. Sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bryce, we got out of here. We got you out on time. Yep. Tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on.
1: Yeah, real quick at Motor City Hoops on Twitter and then the Pistons Pulse podcast if you want to listen to Pistons stuff. And yeah, that's it. Always enjoy this. Sorry I had the heart out. We had some other things, but I do got to get to some other stuff here this evening, some other work I got to do. So always enjoy it, Sam, and appreciate everybody. Hit like, subscribe, rating, review, all of that stuff.
0: Go to the athletic, keep me employed over there. Uh, we will be back later this week with more. I'm probably going to try and do awards later this week at some point for midseason. We will see how it goes. But until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.